Welcome to Let's Talk Adoption, bringing you the latest information for families seeking to adopt, adoptees, and women considering placing their child for adoption. Today, I have a wonderful guest with us. Our guest is Sherry Fine. She's a single mother of two international adopted children. Sherry is also a counselor, psychotherapist, educator, and she is very much involved with special ed um, as an advocate. Um, Sherry is currently residing in New York City, and uh, she has a private therapy practice um, serving the needs of children and their family. And as an advocate for adoption, she recently produced a documentary called Forever Families, which tells the stories of seven adult adoptees, all of whom were adopted by single parents. Sherry, welcome to the program, and thank you for being here today. Thank you. Well, you know, there's so much I want to cover today. You know, with more and more people raising children as single parents or diverse parents today, adopting as a single parent in the U.S. has become an all-time high, and it's a growing trend whether they're doing it domestically or internationally. You know, tell me, have you seen this? You know, you've been, your your children now are older. Um how old are your children now that you adopted? My daughter is 35 and my son is 30. So you've been in the adoption uh, area for a long time. Yeah, I certainly have been. Um, and now we're we're three grandchildren later. Wow, that's amazing. And, and it's, you know... It's your kind of wisdom that I think is really helpful to help uh, many of our listeners, too, that are considering, you know, being single parents. And um, I wanted you to share a little bit about your own experience as a young, you know, single woman. When you decide to adopt, um, what were some of your, your reasons, first off, and just a little bit of your background, too? Would love to. Um, at the time, I was a teacher. Uh, I felt that uh, I could love any child, and um, adoption always made sense to me. Uh, I was not in a long-term relationship. I was in my early 30s, and my thinking at that time was that if I proceeded with this adoption and someone came into my life, then it would kind of um, separate the the individuals that were interested in me because that's that's how I saw my life with children and with adopted children. Um, the the two at the time there were very limited options for single people. We were at the um, and often continue to be at the lower rung of the uh, adoption. Uh, adoptable parent, right. um, particularly for, well, domestic as well as international. At the mm-hmm. time, I looked into, into domestic adoptions. The youngsters that were identified were children with pretty severe issues, mm-hmm. um, and I felt these kids would be uh, challenges for two a two-parent resourceful family. Right. Um, at the time, I also looked at, um, I'm a Caucasian person, I was interested in biracial or um, having a transracial family. Tell me a little bit about your reasonings behind that, because a lot of people do ask, was it that you were in a, a transracial neighborhood or school or community? Um, I've always lived in a very diverse community, which is uh, key to certainly if you're going to integrate your family, then that you would like that support system for yourself and your your children. Sure, always. Um, 
At the time, I had a very, I have a very dear friend who's an African American who felt that um, African American children should be adopted by African American parents. And that was very and common. So I was mm-hmm. dissuaded. I'm sorry. Very common at that time, too. At that time, yes, it was. In fact, at that time, um, the Association for Black Social Workers came out with a very strong statement against transracial adoption. Mm -hmm. Since that time, there have been many, many very successful transracial adoptions. Yes, totally. However, at the time, um, I then looked into international adoptions. Mm -hmm. And... There, uh, the options that were available, and programs open and close all the time, but in uh, the early 70s, the time, I looked into um, international adoption. The two programs that um, seemed to fit was, there was a program in Columbia for children above the age of five that was open to singles, Mm -hmm. and there was a program in El Salvador at the time El Salvador was in the height of uh, their civil war, and so there was a lot of movement. Um, Initially, I adopted my daughter from Colombia. She was seven at the time. Mm -hmm. Prior to the placement of my daughter, there had been a placement of a little boy. Um, His name was Diego, and this is very common that um, a placement is made and then for some reason it disrupts. Now, now let me say placement for people that have not done this. He was uh, was, um, designated to you or was he actually in your home? No, he was designated. I received a picture and a profile. Mm -hmm. And he was from Uh, Columbia also. From Columbia. Mm -hmm. And so I became, I made lots of copies and everybody had a picture of Diego and a few weeks later I received word that um, it was in the best interest of this child that he be in a home with a father. Um, And so we began the search again. A few weeks later I received a picture and a profile of my daughter who came home to me uh, just a few months later, Jacqueline, and um, as many adoptive parents feel, that was the child that was always destined for me. Right. Uh, she came to me, and she was, you know, I was just, I was smitten. I fell in love. Mm-hmm. And we had a wonderful honeymoon for about a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly um, adoption for me is still the prettiest word in the dictionary, but mm-hmm. um, inherent in adoption are losses. Mm-hmm. And um, and, lo- and that's, that's happens, too. So, you know, you adopted one other child, too. I did. How long after the first one did you adopt the second child? Two years later, um, and I gave a, the choice to, to my daughter, Jackie. Um, I asked her, I wanted another child. My siblings are very important, and I thought particularly in a single-parent family, household that um, I wanted my children to at least have another option of an individual to uh, to bounce off of. So I asked my daughter if uh, what sex, if she would prefer a, a sister, a brother, and 
the age as well. Uh, well, if she had to choose, it would be a boy because mm-hmm. she wanted to be the only granddaughter mm-hmm. and someone much smaller so that there would be no competition. So yeah. I abided by her wishes. And two years later, Alfonso arrived. He was two and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I thought um, a younger child may come with less baggage mm-hmm. and uh, perhaps I would be able to have a greater impact. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, in hindsight, each child is an individual. The relationship is very different. Their history is very different. My son came from a war-torn country. Mm-hmm. What country um, did he come through? El Salvador. El Salvador, yes, okay. And um, he certainly came with his own set of issues mm-hmm. um, that um, today we have worked through lots of challenges um, and I can look back and for me this was clearly the best decision mm-hmm. of my life. Um, the two. That's good to know after so many years of adoption because we do see readopts when people aren't prepared for it. You know, um, one thing, how did you prepare and how do you suggest to other people because you, you you now have a a you know a great um, psychotherapy. You have a, your your own practice, um, and you're dealing with people. How do you get people to prepare for being a single parent, especially from a child that's not of their own body, and maybe another well, country? I think at the time, as I said, I was quite naive. I was a teacher. Um, I loved the children in my class, and I felt I had the capacity to love any child that would come to my home. Mm-hmm. Um, and the love was there. However, the challenges were also there, challenges I would never have imagined. Like, they, could you share a few of them that, that would not um, take away from the privacy of your son's life but would help other people? Um, <clears throat> my Well, my daughter came, and certainly she had lost one mother, and she was not about to lose another mother. Mm-hmm. She um, had also not had uh, very positive relationships with males, and she saw males as a threat. Mm. So uh, my dating life came to a very abrupt halt Mm -hmm. um, because it was so disruptive. And um, what I did and what I strongly suggest is that I developed a support network of other single adoptive parents. Mm Um, And if that network is not available, then uh, a network of other adoptive families Mm -hmm. to help normalize our existence and other single parent families. I think, and that's really important because you can do it online and offline, and there's so many single, I mean, wherever I go, I'm finding parents that have adopted and <clears throat> singles also, but I think there's a lot online that people can um, access now that maybe you didn't have available at the time you adopted. Absolutely. Our numbers are increasing and our credibility is increasing. Um, for some children, a single parent is clearly the best option if mm-hmm. they have been, for instance, in an abusive situation um, with a particular gender. gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have that information. That's the important stuff that people want to get as much as possible. Did you feel that your information that you got from the country was pretty accurate about the children, too? Because people do worry about the accuracy of the, the history, the social history, uh, medical history of the children they are going to be adopting, especially overseas. 
It was limited. Mm-hmm. It was uh, very limited. And, you know, at the time I thought, well, um, in the United States we do have a lot of information about a youngster. And part of that um, I was a little fearful because mm-hmm. I'd had this information and I somehow naively thought if a child came from another country, that child would be healthy and um, and mm-hmm. and limited in terms of issues. And that was not correct information. Right, right. Um, there are my, no guarantees even for biological No guarantees. Yeah. Even, I mean, clearly when you have biological children, mm-hmm. um, there are just no guarantees. And so we accept our children, who they are, they accept us, and we work together. Um, developing resources is, is really critical. And, you know, at the time, again, I thought, I'm going to be mom and dad. Mm-hmm. I could only be mom, and certainly identifying role models of the um, same sex and other sex role models was critical both for my daughter and my son. Um, so preparing in those ways, um, it, it, this decision changes um, the relationships with friends and family. Your parents will become grandparents, your sisters and brothers, aunts and uncles, and the friends that you've gone on vacations with or, or you know, casually went out to the movies, your, your needs are going to change because your children's needs are going to become mm-hmm. priorities. You have to be really prepared for that, and that's, you know, by being about other people, I think you become prepared for that, too. What have you found in, you know, in your practice, too, that are some of the challenges people are facing um, when they are preparing, let's start with preparing for adoption, um, and um, that just a few tips that maybe can help them being prepared, having the resources around them. Anything else that you can suggest, too, because of your vast experience? Uh, well, I think, number one, the um, developing that support network Understanding that this little child that's coming, little children are so cute and loving, and then they become teenagers, and mm-hmm. you've got to love this kid through teenagehood, mm-hmm. through the rest of their life. So being really clear that this is not your second choice. Uh, for many of the people that we've dealt with, having that birth child is very important. Dealing with some of those issues, being with having a child with in a relationship for many people is critical mm-hmm. and we believe that you need to kind of get through some of those issues before you embark on this major right. decision right um, if you are looking at a transracial adoption intercultural adoption identifying a, a network that is diverse where your children are going to have role models of their ethnicity, of their race is, again, very critical in terms of their self-esteem and their identity. Um, Your work schedule, um, making sure that you're in good physical and mental health Mm -hmm. because there are going to be challenges. um, How old were you when you adopted? I was 32. Mm-hmm. Um, the median age that we have found in uh, a survey, which um, I can talk about, and, uh, was about 40 mm-hmm. women. 
particularly women, the majority of the people that we deal with are single moms. Mm -hmm. Occasionally we have single fathers. But uh, for the most part, I would say 95% of the people that we've dealt with are females. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, uh, Sherry Fine uh, is an LCSW counselor, psychotherapist, educator, uh, adoptive mother. She has a lot to share about single parent adoptions. All children deserve a home, and Lifetime Adoption wants to help those children find a home. If you're starting to explore adoption, Lifetime can help you learn more and find the resources you need. Lifetime has been committed to supporting birth families and helping children for nearly 20 years. They offer guidance and encouragement during and after your pregnancy. At Lifetime, open adoption means you make the choices. Choose the adoptive family. Choose how much contact you want and choose how you want the adoption to happen. The choice is up to you. Lifetime is known for their caring and genuine concern for the birth mother's well-being before and after adoption. They're able to provide adoption services to prospective adoptive families and birth parents from all over the nation. And Lifetime provides you with a 24-hour hotline for support and guidance. To find out more information, visit LifetimeAdoption.com. Give the gift of your home to a deserving child. Call 800-923-6784. My guest is Sherry Fine, MSW. She's a clinical social worker and a single adopted mother of two internationally adopted children. She has a private practice in serving the needs of children and their families in New York City. Her background was as a teacher, a school psych, um, psychologist, right? That's correct. Right. And a special education director and school principal underscore her commitment to children and their families. And as an uh, adoption advocate, Sherry believes adoption is a wonderful way to create a family. She's been sharing that with us in the first part of our program today. She also inspired and produced a wonderful um, DVD, Forever Families. Um, and in this, uh, she is uh, interviewed. And Sherry, share a little bit about it. Seven Stories. Tell us about what your documentary is about and the name of it, too, so we can, we're going to find out, let share everyone where people can buy this uh, well let me, let me tell you you can purchase it at, uh, if you check into sfine f-i-n-e number two at aol.com write me a short note that tells me you would like a copy I will send out all the information the documentary came from a desire to share the my story as well as many of the other folks that I have encountered in my life as a single adopted parent. Mm -hmm. My children um, are are precious to me. My life has expanded in so many wonderful ways. Um, And my children are my greatest teachers. Mm -hmm. The seven individuals in this documentary, uh, the, the common theme is my parents stayed with me. The commitment was there, and one of the uh, one of the individuals in the film coined the phrase "forever family" mm-hmm. when he felt uh, he had been rejected by a number of situations. And when he met his mom, he questioned, "Is this really a forever family?" Mm-hmm. And you're talking and about um, he was rejected by other prospective adoptive parents. That's right. Yeah, and that That's was that right. in the United States, or were these all internationally adopted children? 
Um, no, the, of the seven individuals, there are three domestically adopted and then four who are international. Really nice mix, yeah. Um, there is a mix of males and females. and All the, races. Mm-hmm. Um, all races. And each one has their own story. Now, I should preface it by stating that I spoke to many, many young people, and the, uh, the criteria was that the individual will be at least 18 years of age be and be, have been adopted by a single person. So this is all uh, about seven children that were adopted into single parents. And that's what I think is, is key that anybody considering adoption, uh, you know, look for and, and contact Sherry uh, about her Forever Families, Seven Stories of Single Parent Adoption, because this is the education you need that you can't really buy. You really have to learn it. And I think that's important. Go ahead, Sherry. I'm sorry. I just want to get that in. I wanted to preface it by stating that I did speak to many young people who chose not to participate in the mm-hmm. film. These seven individuals felt very positive about the adoption, about their lives, um, and speak very openly. They talk, they give advice to prospective singles who are thinking about adoption, mm-hmm. and um, but these are seven what I would say success stories, people who feel very good about themselves and the families that they were adopted into. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they range in age from about 18 to um, a, a young woman in her 40s. Um, they're parents, they are single people, they, some are college, have college degrees, others do not. Um, but I think that the theme that runs through all of these individuals is that they stuck with me through thick and thin. They were there. It's that commitment that I think that a lot of times that uh, people are are lacking um, in, in our culture today. And I think kids really need that, too. And I think that brings that. You talked, you did speak to one, uh, Gabe. Here's a little story I just want to share. Gabe, adopted at the age of two from Mexico, speaks on the issue of loss. He says, I don't think loss is bad. You could lose a bad situation. We, um, we lost a bad situation. Now we are a better position for what we endured as young children. Gabe is a loving father of his seven-year-old son, and he owns and operates a barbershop. So that was just one of them. You had quite a few that had some very interesting stories. Um, um. I did. Um, there was my own daughter is a participant in the film. Mm-hmm. That's Jackie, right. and she talks about um, adoption as um, as a very positive thing. We have a very close relationship, but she she t- she says in the documentary she said sometimes it's like having a puzzle and there's a piece that's lost Mm -hmm. and particularly in tough times there's a frustration and maybe an anger attached to that loss because you you can't find that little piece Mm -hmm. Um, I think Grace speaks very eloquently about the losses Mm -hmm. and what her advice is that the losses are there but the the key is not to not to focus there, to move on from that point, and to and she, um, and she left uh, three some other siblings too behind. 
Yes, she has a very compelling story. She left a couple of... Grace was adopted at the age of 12, which is another interesting piece about the documentary. We have individuals who were adopted. There were transracial adoptions. There were... um, Grace was adopted at the age of 12. Um, others who were adopted as infants, um, and so there's there's a real diversity among the individuals. Oh, and what she's doing now, Grace is a mother of four, an adoptive uh, social worker, and uh, completing home studies and placing children in adoptive homes. So she's she's been there, done that, and she's doing it now. That's right. She so, places children in adoptive homes. That's wonderful. So there's so much in this too, Jerry. As we go through this, um, you know, what were, why were you compelled to do this documentary? Um, about single parents um, adopting? Um, For me personally, adoption and my children, and they have enhanced my world in a way that nothing else could have. Mm -hmm. I feel it was a real win-win. I've also, if uh, I've given and I've, we've shared, continue to share a relationship that continues to grow. And I know many people still approach me and say, I didn't know you could do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's obviously quite possible. However, if... If this is a decision that is right for an individual, it needs to be one that is well thought out and well prepared for. Mm-hmm. And um, by viewing this documentary, I think there'll be some insights as to how to prepare. Mm-hmm. Um, I am also presently working on a book. Yes, I see with this. Lee Barone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lee and I have a counseling and referral agency by the, mm-hmm. called Adoption Network, mm-hmm. where we we've done groups for single individuals mm-hmm. who are working through this decision. And that's in New York, out of New York, right? Um, out of New York, that's mm-hmm. correct. So there's we two there's, there's different uh, adoption network organizations. So this one's out of New York for single parents only. That's right. Okay. And um, within the groups, we look at losses. We look at um, at whether or not this decision is the correct decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at the programs that are available and programs just open and close right now. I believe Russia is a program that is open. China was a program that was open for many years for singles. Guatemala I, it co- opens and closes. How's that uh, looking for singles at this point more as um, of this recording? You know, I hesitate to um, say at this point sure. because they, cl- they open and close so um, pretty with, consistently. Yes. My advice is to identify a number of agencies, call the agencies, and ask them if they're familiar, if they've placed with single people. First so question out, exactly. First question you want to ask, because a lot of them don't, and they don't know how to deal with singles. You could be just wasting your time and money. Exactly. Yeah. And if they have, um, go further and ask maybe for some names of other folks who have uh, completed References. their adoption. Right. Now what, um, go ahead. 
And in this way, you begin to expand your network. Right. I think people actually, you know, I suggest that people start like a little um, accordion file and get information, gather information, either in a, a, a digital format or um, in both a printed one. So you have the information, articles you can find on in adoptive magazines and, and speaking to people. So you have all this information in books and you like your documentary um, for our families that you have this information you can gather before you jump right into it because it's one of the biggest decisions that anybody can make, especially a single, to make this commitment for a lifetime. Um, Absolutely. Uh, to, uh, to you, need, you need to educate yourself. Right. Um, what you is, are, yeah, what, you're not buying a car, you're not buying a house, you're, this is an emotional issue, however, it's one that you, you are a consumer in this and in that you are making a conscious decision and it's the biggest decision of your life mm-hmm. and so uh, you need to gather all the information and when you make this decision you don't want to look back and say um, why did I do this mm-hmm. you know from the um, upfront that you've put this time and energy into it what's the name of your book that you're working on or do you have a title yet um, we do. We've been working on the book. It's um, s- stories of single parent adoption, okay. and uh, we're we're hoping that it will be in completion fall of this year. Great. We did uh, a fairly extensive twenty page survey that we sent out to well over a hundred single adopt parents mm-hmm. nationally. We received 77 of these surveys back, and it looks at developing a support network, um, the decision, the, uh, there's a section where we've received feedback from um, adult uh, adoptees who have been adopted by singles, mm-hmm. and um, we have some vignettes which we've put together of uh, prototypes of individuals that we've met who um, come to us with various issues. We often talk about um, some of the anxieties around a home study, and a home study is the process by which um, you meet with a social worker and uh, you go through a series of interviews um, at the end of which a document is produced that gives you access to the next step, which is uh, to adopt. Some individuals come with questions about finances. Do I have enough money? How much will this cost? Mm -hmm. Um, I have had a history of some um, major illness, either a physical or a mental illness. Mm -hmm. Am I open with my social worker? Will some be as open uh, as you can because this is an experience where you'd like some feedback from a social worker? Right, not have surprise later on, yes. I'm sorry? You don't want to have surprises later on that may... Exactly. Yes. And uh, develop this relationship and find a relation, a, an individual, a social worker that you can have a good trusting relationship how with. Do you do th- how do you do that? Because many times uh, si- single parents-to-be are in regions where they may have limited a number of social workers that can do their home studies. And so there may be, um, I hate to use the word stuck, but they only have a choice of one or two people that can do their home studies. Well... What we suggest is doing some homework, as we said, educating yourself, mm-hmm. identifying a number of agencies, um, calling these agencies and asking them, um, 
have they completed home studies for single people. Mm -hmm. Now, I think by law, most agencies will have to say that they are certainly open. They're not discriminatory. Mm -hmm. Um, And the next question may be, um, how many have you done in the past year? Um, And may I have the names of individuals who have completed home studies, who have Mm -hmm. some of my closest friends were referrals from my social worker Mm -hmm. who had completed their home studies and their children and my children grew up almost as cousins, as extended family. Mm -hmm. And my children often look back and say, you know, it was such a helpful experience because it helped normalize our family. Right. Did you have any uh, challenges with your uh, your family, to your extended family, uh, when you went and said, you know, announced that you were going to adopt a child for your with absolutely. Your mm-hmm. uh, my mom, who today is ninety four, and the person she is probably closest to is my daughter, mm-hmm. was dead set against the adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, she was fearful of um, of for me. Um, you know, would I never get married? Would this be too much for me? Um, and the marriage issue kind of took second place. Um, I wanted to be a mother, and my children have given me the gift of being a mother, and for that I will always be thankful. There have been some marvelous relationships in my life. Um, I am still single mm-hmm. and have lived a very rich life, um, and now that everybody has grown up, uh, I have these three amazing grandchildren that come and visit me periodically and I have so the the gifts keep coming and um I think that people need to look down the road at that, too. Um, When do you think it's too old to adopt? Um, We have people ask us all the time, is it 40, is it 45, is it 50, is it 35? Uh, Well, the variables are um, your resources, your financial, your physical resources. Um, There are... You know, 50-year-olds who are have as much energy as 20-year-olds, and there are 20-year-olds who don't have the energy. Um, I think you really need to do some soul searching. Mm-hmm. And um, the I remember in one of our groups we had a woman who would continue to say, you know, I, it's just not right. It's just not right. And then we met her at a conference. There's some wonderful conferences. And the, I participate, I give a workshop every year at the uh, conference. It's called ACONE, A-C-O-N-E. It's in New England, but mm-hmm. it's a national conference. And they do have a number of, uh, of workshops for singles. Um, and the woman approached me at a conference. At the time, she was 47. She said, I finally, and she started this process when she was in her early 40s. She said, I am so glad I finally came to the perfect child for me. And that perfect child was a 14-year-old little young girl Mm -hmm. who she adopted at 47. And that was right for her. Wow. So, um, you know, to put a number on it, 
is um, the number is, I think, less important than some of the other resources. Now, you do want to feel um, as though you've got your finances, finances are in place so that if you needed babysitters, if you needed um, some additional therapy, uh, dance lessons, um, those extras that um, you were in a comfortable place that you could provide those kinds of things. Um, we also have many, many parents, and I think in the documentary, uh, Claire, who is Maddie, Maddie is one of the individuals highlighted in the documentary, mm-hmm. her mom was very resourceful mm-hmm. in terms of identifying scholarships and um, and, you know, she participated. She did volunteer work while uh, the children received the benefits. There are many creative ways of addressing the financial um, aspects. Right. We had a woman who decided to throw herself a shower. She told all of her friends and relatives, I decide I'm not getting married, so whatever you would have given me for my wedding, I'd like <laughs> for you to gift me for my uh, upcoming motherhood. That's wonderful. What a great idea. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of creative ways, and I think you're going to find more and more, but I think it is the soul-searching, deciding, you know, can I do this? Am I willing to commit to this? Am I willing to change my lifestyle? And really focus on this child because, um, you know, getting up and going to the gym at 5 a.m. may not be a possibility if you've got a little one there. Um, exactly. You know, so exactly. things like that. And and role models. Uh, children need male and female role models and, and who are good role models in uh, your life that you can have for your child. And uh, the resources so it's a little bit more work but you know I think people put more energy and I, I actually I've seen this too more energy into planning a vacation or a remodel on their home than their own adoption and, oh. and it's, it's, just, it's so sad so that's why I'm glad that we're talking about this today about you know preparing for it and, and building a foundation for um, for adoption because it is forever and uh, when the car is gone and the vacation's over and the house is old uh, your child's going to be there forever and That's right. you need to plan for that and plan for, you know, the insurance and the time off to bond and things like that, too. Were you able to take some time off of, of, of work uh, when you did adopt your children to spend some time because you were a teacher or did it align with some holidays or the summer vacation? Um, as a teacher, it was, um, you know, my vacations coincided with my children's and it worked very well. Um, there are certainly, and within our survey, we have bankers, lawyers, um, doctors. We, um, we have a very diverse uh, in terms of careers. Yes. And it is um, very difficult. Within my private practice, mm-hmm. I have um, moms who who have nine to five jobs, it is a, a challenge. It clearly is a challenge because many, most of our children have, uh, often, very often, I have one youngster who suffers from um, lots of anxiety. They, she, he wants to be near his mom. And when mom is not there and mom goes on a trip, Mm -hmm. then we have to kind of start all over because Mm -hmm. this youngster who was abandoned at two years old doesn't know if mom's coming back because that's been his experience. Um, So there are... This is not... I I guess I don't want to paint a rose-colored 
picture. Right. Realistic. realistic. A realistic picture. This yeah. is not the right decision for everyone. And that's why you really need to do some soul searching. Right. And for every child. And some children do need a two-parent home. Some uh, some children are better off um, because of abuse or something else with one parent of a certain gender. Um, Absolutely. Without, even without other siblings around. Um, and so these are things you'll find out as you're speaking to other singles and other social workers and attending conferences and reading books and looking at the documentary like um, Forever Families too. I think there's so much to share in there. Sherry, you know, we're coming to the end of our time right now. Is there anything else you'd like to add to our listeners um, about um, becoming, uh, you know, a single parent or um, any other tips that you can share from your wisdom from many years of being a single parent, also being a, um, a counselor? Um, I think the the people and the young people in the documentary say it best. You know, stick with it, don't give up. Uh, there is a light at the end of sometimes a very long tunnel, mm-hmm. and um, and and develop that support network so you're not feeling like you're alone in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and please feel free to send any comments or questions to sfine2 at aol.com. My advice is to develop those networks. If there are individuals in your area, I will be happy to try to network folks and uh, kind of be a clearinghouse because that's certainly what pulled me through. And uh, Mm -hmm. I can look back now and say best decision I've ever made. And that's great. Well, I want to make sure we give another plug for your your DVD, which is for Forever Families. Uh, again, you can go ahead and email Sherry at S-F-I-N-E, S-F-I-N-E 2, the number 2, at AOL.com. What's the price of your DVD too, Sherry? I'm charging $29.99. Okay, $29.99. And that takes care of uh, shipping and handling. So um, we can just send a check. If you send me an email, I'll send you an email back. I'll let you know where to send the check, and then I'll get the uh, documentary out. The book will be forthcoming, and um, hopefully we'll have a a website that talks about that. That'd be great. We'll have to have you back when you have that book out, too. Definitely give us a call for that. Well, I want to thank you again for being on Let's Talk Adoption, and uh, I think your information has been very valuable, and I'm hoping that it will help a lot of people that are considering becoming single parents, too. Um, And I'm just um, so thankful that you had the time and that you shared all this insight, and I'm glad you did the documentary too, Sherry. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marty. Thank you for joining us for Let's Talk Adoption, presented by Lifetime Adoption. For more information about any of the topics you've heard today, please visit lifetimeadoption.com or call or text 1-800-923-6784. That's 1-800-9-ADOPT-4.